electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, that's a wrap. The 2023 trading year may be over, but we have got a big final prediction for next year. Oh, the irony. Jamie Dimon has trashed crypto for years, so why did J.P. Morgan Chase just get tapped for a key role in a Bitcoin ETF? Reaching a breaking point, pressure mounting on business as the border crisis only gets worse. When Dan Ives speaks, investors listen. He joins us with one stock. He says you want to avoid at all costs. Plus, we're going to reveal last call stock of the year. That's according to you. And our final beat the books up 2023 with sky high stakes for the NFL picks this weekend. All that and much more over the hours. Belly up or buckle up for Pete's sakes. Last call is up right now. All right, everybody. Happy Friday. We are live here on Last Call tonight. And first up today, the year that was likely a very good one for your money. The S&P 500 popping 24 percent. That's a big turn from last year's 20 percent drop, although not quite as good as the covid recovery. 28 percent pop in 21. 2023 was also the year that most of the experts got it wrong, really wrong. Starting the year, the year-end S&P 500 average price target of strategists and big banks was just 4,140. But we closed the year way better than that at 47.69, meaning most of the street were off by about 15%. So what are some of those same experts predicting for next year? Well, not a boom. Right now, the average S&P price target to end next year is 48.81 just a couple of percentage points above where we are right now. So it kind of begs the question, what will happen next year? Could Wall Street get it wrong? Again, joining us now, Piper Sandler's Managing Director and Chief Market Technician, Craig Johnson, and Chief Strategist at 248 Ventures, Lindsay Bell. Welcome to both of you. It's Friday before New Year's. God bless you both for going on TV. Craig, I want to start with you because you're one of the ones who made some great calls, not just this year, but over the years. In fact, if our viewers remember, Back in late October on this very show, here's what you said would happen in the final two plus months of the year. Brian, it's about 14% upside. Once we get some clarity brought into what's going to happen in Washington, get through the earnings season, these kind of things, I think there's a real meaningful pop. Again, we're sticking with our 48, 25 year end objective, Brian. So, Craig, basically you nailed it. You, when you said that, the S&P 500 rose about 13%. You were calling for about 15%. Not going to dither. We're happy either way. So what are you seeing now momentum-wise technically for next year? So, Brian, for next year, I just have to call out that we think is going to be a very different setup than what we had in 2023. We talked about a hop, a drop, and a pop for 2023. We think next year, Brian, will be an HLTR or a high-level trading range. We think we're going to have a strong Q1. 
sort of consolidate in Q2, Q3, and then have a strong push after the election in Q4, leaving us at a year-end objective about 50-50 for next mm. year. So we're seeing about 9 to 10% upside from here. What's interesting about that, Lindsay, what Craig is just saying, and I'm not going to whatever because you guys are a lot smarter than me, but I've got my final prediction of the year coming up. One of them has to do with the fact that I, I just wonder if the market may stall out, Lindsay, from like, I don't know, April or May on because people like in 2016, investors might just sit back and see what happens with the election. Basically, you know, just, you know, nice momentum to start the year coming off of now. And then just kind of like, you know what? We have no idea what's going to happen with the election. Let's just chill. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, historically speaking, that's certainly what can happen. Investors kind of in a wait and see mode during that summer period. Then after the election happens, you can see a big pop because there's more clarity. We all know the market likes to see clarity. So you, have, you get that clarity into the end of the year. You get the Santa Claus rally and we're off to the races. But I, when I think about 2024, I really see it as this return to normal Earnings growth is going to be in the 10 to 12 percent range and, and sales growth about 5 percent. Those are near historical averages. And then when I think about interest rates that have come down, let's call it into the 3 to 4 percent range with the Fed cutting because they can, not because they have to. And we're in an economic crisis period. I think that you could you can get an 8 to 10 percent pop in the market uh, in that type of environment as well, too. So I'm optimistic into next year. It doesn't mean it's going to be a straight line up, though. Yeah, and I don't want to misquote you, Craig. Did I get it right? I mean, effectively, are you suggesting that we, you know, we carry this momentum over? And then I think that people just say, you know, like I think it was 2016, the market did nothing for months leading up to the election. Correct. That's exactly what we think is going to happen, Brian. But we got to put a little bit of a twist to it for the viewers here. This HLTR means that these MAG-7 stocks become the lag seven stocks, Brian. And we start to see the small mid cap stocks really did start you, to play catch up. Did you read my, I haven't even posted my prediction, Craig. You got I'm just telling, I'm giving you a hint. I, and I was, I, I swear I'm not stealing your stuff. Why do you say that? Well, I say that because I just look at the charts. When I go back and I look at these mag seven stocks, they're all just starting to consolidate sideways. And if you look at Coming off of the lows of October, you can start to see that these MAG-7 stocks have been underperforming the S&P 400, the 600, and even the 500. And therefore, I think this big differential between the MAG-7 and these smaller cap names, they're going to close this year. And these small cap stocks and growth stocks are really going to do well. And that's where I think you're going to get your best outperformance next year. I love it. You might have coined it the LAG-7. Lindsey Bell, do you think the MAG-7 will turn into the lag seven. Uh, I mean, I love the terminology. Kudos to you, Craig, for coming up with that. Um, I, I, I tend to agree that I do think the MAG-7 could lag, but that doesn't mean they're going to fall off a cliff. That This isn't a zero-sum game here. They're still... 40% of the S&P 500 index. So we need them to perform pretty well. And I think they can. If you look at the those seven stocks in particular, you're looking at about 25% earnings growth, 19% sales growth. And the multiples on most of them are still below their five-year averages. You're going to have Dan Ives on later. I'm sure he can speak much more um, concisely to it. But I do think that they can do well in the year ahead. And for those that are a little bit worried after having such a great year, if you want to get somewhat defensive, that's one area that you can dive into or nibble into as they underperform the rest of the market. Lindsey Bell, Craig Johnson, we appreciate your help not only tonight, but all year long to you both. Have a great new year. We look forward to seeing you on the other side of the calendar. Thank you. Thank you both. Thanks, Brian.
All right, very welcome. Thank you. All right, so as we turn the page another year on Wall Street, let's take a look at the S&P 500 stud and dud of the year. I mean, do I need to tell you for the hundredth time, the big winner of the year is NVIDIA. Nobody's even close. NVIDIA up 239%. The biggest decliner was former trader favorite and one of the hottest stocks to start the year, solar and battery systems maker Enphase Energy. High interest costs have come down from all the battery high-paying investors hard. It lost half its value. All right, we are live on this Friday and just getting started. And up next, irony so thick, you got to cut it with a knife. A big-time critic of crypto suddenly to make a lot of money on crypto. Plus, one big tech prediction for 24, and it's got to do with what else? AI. Michael Wolf up with that. Coming up. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now for tomorrow's news tonight, and there's an interesting one in the crypto world happening now. BlackRock has named Jane Street Capital and J.P. Morgan Chase as what's known as authorized participants for its proposed Bitcoin ETF. What does that mean? It's a fancy term meaning those two firms will effectively create and redeem ETF shares as needed. Now, Jane Street, which you may not have heard of, by the way, is one of the most secretive and most powerful trading firms on Wall Street and somewhat ironically, is also the firm that hired crypto crook Sam Bankman-Fried out of college. But this is also a surprising move, considering what J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon has said about crypto. I could care less what Bitcoin trades for, how it trades, why it trades, who trades it. If you're stupid enough to buy it, you'll pay the price for it one day. Bitcoin itself is a a hyped-up fraud. It's a pet rock. I've always been deeply opposed to crypto, Bitcoin, etc. If I was the government, I'd close it down. Slam it on one side, but happy to take the business on the other. That's what a banker does. Joining us now for more is CNBC's Kate Rooney. What was that, Kate? If you're stupid enough to buy it, you're going to pay the price one day. But he's buying it. Flash forward, here we are, Brian. I know there's a lot of irony in this announcement today, and that's being called out all over Twitter or X. But authorized participants, you know, J.P. Morgan does this for traditional ETFs. There is a bit of a surprise here that this happened, you know, quickly and and seems to be really a milestone in this ETF process that J.P. Morgan does this with. And think of your normal ETF, which is sort of a basket of stocks. The authorized participant is the one who's who's working on the back end to make sure that the price is aligned with sort of the underlying stocks in this case, uh, or it would be Bitcoin in this case, but they... They hold those stocks and those shares at this custodian bank. They, they're sort of the balancing mechanism on the back end. So it is a traditional Wall Street type of thing. And here JP Morgan is getting into the Bitcoin ETF. They obviously see upside financially here. And, you know, not to mention JP Morgan 
even though Jamie Dimon has been so vocal about how he doesn't like Bitcoin, they've also got this massive Onyx blockchain group at the bank, too. So he'll say, you know, sort of pithy, funny things about Bitcoin. And he's he's you know, said it in front of Congress as well. But they've got this massive blockchain organization called Onyx. They're also now the authorized participant in at least the BlackRock. ETF application. It hasn't been approved yet, but if it does, they're going to be the ones working on the back end. So seems like Jamie Dimon may be talking out of two sides of his, yeah, his mouth but, here. You know, but they, you know that JP Morgan's got a great PR team. They're gonna, they'll, they'll move, they'll maneuver this around. And if they're listening, I'll give them some advice. All you basically say is it's political. Just learn from DC, right? Just sort of just say, well, you know, we're, we're sort of against it, but others are for it. And therefore we're going to listen to the others and, and take it to heart and change the mind. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be that hard to do. Kate, there's also a separate story uh, about a gentleman, by the way, that you've covered for a long time named Sam Bankman-Fried. News breaking not that long ago, because we are live, by the way, that Sam Bankman-Fried will not be tried in a second trial. According to prosecutors, what does this mean? What, what, what would that second trial have been? So that second trial and the letter to the judge that we just got from the uh, district attorney in lower Manhattan, they basically argued that, hey, all of the evidence we heard in the trial in October, we would have heard similar things if they went to do this second trial. So the second trial would have had to do with bribes paid to Chinese officials. We heard about that in the lower Manhattan courtroom. They'd say that's something we've already got evidence that he did that. The sentencing guidelines already set. So they say based on the evidence we heard, they think that they have proven that he he did that, which the, the example they're talking about is this $100 million bribe to Chinese officials. There were some issues about campaign finance violations. They say they've proven it. It's in the public good to move this quickly. So they don't want to waste taxpayer money here and drag it on through you know, another multiple months, if not multiple years. And they say they want to get to sentencing. They've got all the evidence they need. There was also some talk about they may have violated some of the extradition treaties mm-hmm. with the Bahamas in certain steps here. So there were some kind of administrative things that they may have violated, but they say, bottom line, we want to move it quickly. It's in the public interest, and they think they've got enough evidence. Kate Rooney, appreciate it on the crypto story. Fascinating. Kate, best to you and yours. Have a happy new year. See you in 24. You too, Brian. All right. Thanks. Take care. All right. In the meantime, AI and its seemingly limitless potential have dominated the news flow this year. From the rise of chat bots like ChatGPT, Google's Bard, and even Elon Musk's new Grok. These new tools have led to huge gains for investors in companies like Microsoft, Google, and NVIDIA, 56, 58, and 239% this year. So where will AI take us next year? Well, according to leading tech consulting firm Activate, some of the biggest names in tech will start buying AI tech startups. For more now is Activate CEO Michael Wolf. Michael, thank you for schlepping in and coming in on a Friday night ahead of New Year's. Appreciate it. It's great to be here on the last business day of the year. It would be very good, I would imagine, to be the, the an owner or investor in some kind of AI tech startup with any mojo at all, because to your point, you're probably going to get bought at a big premium. Uh, there's going to be in the next in, in the next months, there's going to be a lot of dating, uh, a lot of proposals, <laughs> but I don't know who's going to get married. But, I mean, but some got, people are going to get rich. Uh, absolutely. So you've got companies out there. Anthropic, which was started by a number of ex-OpenAI executives. You've got uh, more specialized companies like Harvey that are legal search. You've got another one, Gleam, which is enterprise and AI. And mm. all of these companies, like we saw in the previous, um, in, in the past, we saw this with search. They're all going to get bought up by the, by the tech giants. So, so I didn't realize there were, there were as many niche 
AI firms you just mentioned a few I'd never heard of. We know the big ones, OpenAI and ChatGPT, their product. So you're saying there's actually open, there's eight, not open, there's eight artificial intelligence companies focusing on niche industries now? They're going to focus on niche industries, and they may not end up... Niche or niche? uh, Whatever. One one way or the other, they're going to end up being owned by some of the bigger companies. So you have one called Cohere, which which is very focused, and it's already partnering with companies like Oracle and with Google and, and with Amazon. So we should see, watch out for this. Most of them I mean, are, are private, yeah. and they're going to get acquired. They're going to get bought. We had a story the other day, I'm sure you saw it, the New York Times suing Microsoft and OpenAI because they're saying, you can't scrape our stuff, basically we need to be paid. Is there any chance that, you know, with all the hype, whenever, you've been doing this a while, so have I, whenever I see an industry with so much hype, I just wonder... Is there pride before the fall? Is there any not knock or negative on AI at all out there, Michael? Well, there, there, there's a lot in this that aren't necessarily so accurate, and um, and they're they're learning from information. They're they're not necessarily determining what's real and what's not. I That's, think that sounds dangerous. Well, I think we're going to certainly see it in in the 2024 elections, not just in the U.S. but Around the world, there are almost 40 different countries that are going to have presidential elections. And so we're going to see tons of misinformation up to the minute. And it's going to be very hard for people to distinguish what's real and what's not. Any specific companies that you think are real? You mentioned Anthropic. I know they're private, so our viewers can't invest in them. But you think are just really special? I mean, I think that Apple is a good, a, a good example of a company. Everyone keeps looking at Apple and mm-hmm. saying, oh, they must be behind. But the reality is Apple has been the largest acquirer over the last couple of years. Dozens of acquisitions in AI that they've already integrated into a number of their applications. Let's not forget, every couple seconds, millions of people around the world yell, hey, Siri. And so we're going to see Apple using AI to enable everything from Siri <laughs> To, um, to your photos, to searching things in your photos, to creating videos. Apple is the one everyone keeps thinking they're going to be left out, but they're not. And Amazon, the same thing. You will hear, you will have many friends who will text you very soon because you just said that. You're gonna, your friends are going to text you like, dude, you just set off my Siri in my kitchen <laughs> or my family. By saying what you just said, I can't say it because I will activate it. Absolutely. Because you can you can also have fun with it. If I were to say it, I would do something like, hey, Siri, play Sweet Caroline. Well, and it's going to and all. all, There we go. And there we go. And it's happening in living rooms and family rooms across America. You're welcome, everybody. And including uh, I'll blame it on Michael Wolf. (laughs) Michael, thank you very much. Have a happy new year. Fascinating stuff. The year of AI. Happy New Year. Thank Thank you. you. Put on my phone, too. Why not? All right. All right. Still ahead, a call for action. How businesses are scrambling to handle the growing migrant crisis across America, including right here in New York City. Michael. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All 
All right, welcome back. Let's get serious for a moment and talk about a serious situation. That is the border crisis. Just this month, the White House says a record 270,000 migrants have crossed into the United States from Mexico. Over the last three years, there have been more than 7 million encounters at the border. Now, while some migrants have been deported, millions more remain in the United States from more than 100 nations. Now, much of this burden is falling on some specific sanctuary cities across the country, as Texas in particular is busing many migrants out of state. It's gotten so bad that mayors of New York City, Chicago and Denver are all speaking out and sounding the alarm, saying their cities simply cannot afford to house and feed thousands of new people, especially ones who are legally not allowed to work. In fact, in New York City, if the federal government does not step in with billions of dollars of taxpayer money, the mayor's office projects New York City will be forced to spend 12 billion over the next three years. That is about $4 billion a year to pay for the migrants. You want to put that into perspective? That is roughly how much New York City is forecasted to spend on sanitation, the Parks Department, and the Fire Department combined next year. In other words, a lot of the essential city services, they just simply get cut. This is city still aimed to bounce back from the COVID-19 pandemic. So how will this migrant crisis impact the economic recovery of cities and And is there anything business can do about it? Joining us now is the president and CEO of the Partnership for New York City, Kathy Wild. Kathy, thanks for joining. This is a very serious and difficult topic because we are a nation of immigrants. We want everybody to be safe, to ultimately to find a home. It is heartbreaking on many levels. I walked up Broadway this afternoon and I saw a number of of families, families with children who were, were effectively panhandling, I presume because they have no way to earn Money, how, in a humanitarian and humane way, how do we solve this from a business angle, if at all? Well, that is indeed our frustration. In general, New York City is thriving. Our economy is almost a trillion dollars a year. We have more jobs than pre-pandemic. We've got strong business formation. So we're doing very well. The one bleak spot is this terrible migrant crisis, both humanitarian and fiscal, because the city is ending up with the help from the state picking up the tab for, at this point, it's about 160,000 asylum seekers and migrants who have been bused, for the most part, to New York City. So it is a tough challenge. And our frustration is that city and state government do not control our borders, they do not uh, confer legal status on migrants to the, uh, immigrants to this country, and they don't issue work permits. So the business community, which has a lot of jobs available in mm-hmm. New York City, can't hire. Yeah, they can't hire them. And I, I don't know if this is just anecdotal or not, but and New York City, to your point, has done much better. I've traveled all around, and New York City has, has really come back so much better than many other big cities. But I know people who have suggested, I don't want to come back to the office even if my boss forces me because I just don't know what to expect. And whether it's true or not, they see things on TV or social media, makes them, it makes them nervous. And you hate to say that, but this is a hard conversation to have and we might as well just be honest. It's true, it is. As you pointed out, seeing children selling candy on the subways. It's heartbreaking. 
it, it's terrible. And so that's that is the problem. And again, New York City is very good at getting through crises. We've done that a lot of times and we've done it well. But we're not in charge of our destiny here. We cannot control the US immigration laws and the control of the borders. So that's our frustration is that we cannot solve this problem. We're dependent on a federal government which is hamstrung by our outdated and inadequate immigration laws. Now, this has been going on and, and, you know, it's getting I guess it's a positive in a way that it's getting attention now. This has been going on for the better part of three years. We've had almost two million, I think, encounters in 2021, two plus million the last couple of years. Are you frustrated that it's taken us so long to get here, Catherine? The, the busing into New York is a newish and Chicago is a newish problem. The border problem is not a new problem. It's been going on since no. 2021. No, the busing into New York, and I guess we have to figure the border states were fed up. The busing into New York is a relatively new phenomenon, but it's a scale that we can't deal with. And yes, we are a sanctuary city. And what that means is if people are here illegally, we don't turn them over to ICE. The migrants who are coming in are being, for the most part, allowed in legally. They are either seeking asylum or otherwise. Our immigration courts are clogged. And so it may be yep. five years before there's a disposition of their cases. And when I asked Homeland Security, why aren't you keeping at the border them at the border? They said, well, we don't have detention facilities sufficient to accommodate them. There's so just, who knows? Just too many. Um, it's a it's and it's and now it's a business story as well. Catherine Wilde, uh, tough story, tough situation, but we appreciate you coming on and talking about it rationally. Thank you very much. Happy New Year. Thank you. And All happy right. Coming up, the grand conclusion of our big predictions for next year. But for this one, I want you to think small. What was my ambition when I was starting out? Survival. I love the word ambition. Ambition is passion. It's a key ingredient of greatness. To me, ambition is being undaunted by the impossible. I'm ambitious for the nation. I'm ambitious for its people. I'm ambitious for my people. My ambition has always been to seek the truth. To learn as much as I possibly could. To make an impact. I believe in dreaming big. I always have. My ambition is to show gratitude. Yes. Ambition. It's got America written all over it. Ambition really is the foundation of capitalism. I wanted to do great things in this country. My ambition is to do very well in business and to take those profits and recycle back in society to try to make the world a better place. Everything can be a reality. I see ambition everywhere. In many ways, ambition, human ambition, is what drives the world. It is finally that time. No, it's not just Friday, but it's time to reveal my number one prediction for next year. Yep, and it's time to end that graphic forever. All right, and th this one is targeted directly at the stock market. I think that next year will be the year of the small cap. So the prediction is the small cap 600 will do better than the S&P 500. This year wasn't even close, at least not until the end of the year. A small cap 600 ended the year with a 15% return, just a little over half as much as the S&P 500's 24% jump. But here's the thing. Almost all of the small caps gain came in just this month. 12% of that move was December. 
So in other words, small caps going into next year, they got a lot of momentum. And I think that will continue. And here's the other thing to consider. With the November election, it is entirely possible that stocks, we talked about it earlier in the show, and Craig Johnson agreed, by the way, stocks go into hibernation for a period of time leading up to the vote. Maybe, you know, April, May, June, people say, hey, I'm going to wait it out and just see what happens, which means if that happens, much of the year's gains could come in just the first couple of months. And small caps are riding a big time rally right now. Plus, if we do get some soft, you know, economic landing news like it's looking like, that could benefit domestic American companies in a big way. And pretty much every small cap stock gets nearly all its sales and revenue from America or at least North America. So there it is. My number one prediction of the year, small caps over big caps. So to recap, my big four for 24, just for fun, not investment advice predictions. Number four, some big solar stocks outperform the overall market. Number three, Brazil booms and is a better investment than the U.S. Number two, oil and natural gas in their year flat to down. And this is it. Number one, small caps for the win. Call it Bobby Brady beats up Greg trade. Where am I wrong? Let me know. I always love to hear what you think. All right. Let's stay on that topic and bring in somebody who knows more than I do, and that is CIC Wealth Management Executive VP and Financial Advisor, Malcolm Etheridge. Malcolm, thumbs up or thumbs down on my small cap prediction? Yeah, I think it's a good one. I'm honestly surprised oil and natural gas didn't make its way into number one, though. Uh, I, I do agree with you, though, that the broadening among small, mid, and large cap companies that we've seen in the last month or two is definitely going to continue into 2024. And this will probably come as no surprise to you or anyone else who's ever seen me on the network. But I think tech is going to be the sector uh, to lead there. I just think it's too much excitement around AI uh, for us to not see that theme continue, at least in the first couple of quarters into uh uh, next 2024. Yeah, I, had to, I, had to, I didn't want to do oil and gas, number one, because I figured it'd be too obvious. So I kind of kept people guessing. But and that's what you're saying, Malcolm, is what makes me nervous about my prediction. I, and, and I'm going to post this on CBC.com next week. And I always write, where could I be wrong? Because with everything you do, with all the investment decisions, I'm sure you and your team make, you think, where could I be wrong? And where I think I may be wrong is to your point, that if this AI big tech momentum continues, they're going to drag the overall S&P 500 up again and once again trounce the small caps. Well, I think we're going to see a bit of a rotation. I hate to use that word too many times in this conversation, but a rotation away from some of the MAG-7 into other names that fall in, uh, that fall up under the, the S&P 500. But I also think Sticking with the small cap theme, I'm thinking about a company like Pubmatic, right, which is an AI play, right? It allows uh, advertisers to create uh, content, AI, AI generated advertising content so that smaller businesses that can't afford to advertise with the Facebooks and the Googles and the like still have the ability to create these digital ads and get them out there. So the fact that names like Spotify and Amazon have already seen success using AI-generated advertising content and have plans to push further into that direction next year tells me there's potential for uh, Pubmatic shares, shareholders next year. Well, I love that you're, you're doing Pubmatic. Or, by the way, any new name, Malcolm, because that's been hard and these stocks have just not performed. It's like you just buy the QQQ and let it ride and you print money. That, there's no way that can continue forever. Agreed. I think that realistically, there's a few names up underneath the surface, even in the mega cap space that we're not really paying attention to, that will have a 2x or a 3x uh, multiple on their market cap, similar to what we saw happen with NVIDIA uh, this year. And that will 
just basically create that rotation that I'm talking about away from certain names that have uh, powered the MAG-7. We'll have to find a new name for them in 2024. Please. Who knows what we'll call it. Um, but I definitely think there's opportunity there for other names at the at the upper yeah. end of the S&P that, that have AI leaning. Well, Malcolm, our guest earlier in the hour, you're probably getting ready to come on. Craig Johnson said that he's, they're going to be called the LAG-7 because he doesn't think they will outperform. We'll see if that gets coined. Malcolm Etheridge, thank you for coming on. Staying late on a Friday, and happy new year to you and yours. Good to see you. All right, take care. All right, a quick programming note. Two, we're, we're, by the way, we're live on Last Call Tuesday and Wednesday, but I'm, I'm going to take a couple days off. Tune in Thursday, January 4th, for a big show, special edition of Last Call Live from Miami. We're going to speak with Chevron, CEO Michael Worth, Royal Caribbean CEO Jason Liberty, billionaire real estate investor Don Peebles, the head of oil research at Goldman Sachs, Dan Stroyven, on yes, on oil and gas, along with, no doubt, some other special guests throughout the day, a big Thursday. We might be wearing shorts. Miami, January 4th. That is on Thursday. All right, coming up, we're not done. Dan Ives is here with his final big call of the year, and he's stock that he says you should avoid at all costs. Plus, we asked, you answered. We're going to reveal last call's stock of the year via you. All right, welcome back. Earlier in the show, we told you about some of the market's biggest winners and losers of the year. We want to go a little bit deeper, though, and tap into all of you. So we asked on X to tell us what you thought the stock of the year was. We got a ton of responses. Thank you. Let's walk through the five answers that we saw the most. Obviously, this is part of a very unofficial count. We literally were just like reading the post. So we'll call this the last call stock of the year, and we'll count it down. Really tied at five is three different spots. We counted sort of a fair number of Intel, AMD, and MicroStrategy as your favorite stock of the year. Meta coming in at number four shares up almost 200%. Hard not to love that. Three, though, goes to Eli Lilly, kind of a new name. They saw big gains off the weight loss drug craze. Number two, no shock, Tesla, stock double the year. Number one, hot, last call stock of the year as generated by you, the viewer, not by us. Merry Christmas. I'm so tired of talking about NVIDIA, but how do we not? NVIDIA, the stock of the year, it, it went up 240%. Half of you, I think, wrote in and said you loved NVIDIA. I hope you owned it. I hope you made a lot of money. If you sold it, be careful. You're going to get a giant tax bill. Anyway, no surprise there. Congratulations, and thanks to everybody for writing in. All right, joining us now with his stock of the year for this year and maybe for next year is the always popular... Dan Ives. Dan, would you call NVIDIA your stock of this year? Look, I mean, our stock of the year was Microsoft, but no doubt, if you look at the stock of the year overall, NVIDIA is the godfather of AI. And that's really what led AI in terms of the revolution. But Microsoft, in terms of what's happened, Redmond, that's what's changed the game here. And I think this is really going to start a fourth industrial revolution led by Nadella and Redmond, which is why Microsoft is our stock of the year for 2023. Wow, not NVIDIA. So I like being surprised in these myself. Is Microsoft also your top pick for next or your, your stock of the year for next year? Well, our top pick for next year is that company out of Cupertino. I think oh. Apple, this is going to be a renaissance of growth that we see from Apple in 2024. You know, you look at iPhone growth, I think even in China, we're seeing that 
be pretty robust despite some of the noise there. Services, double digits growth. And I think the big surprise here, Brian, I think they release an AI app store at some point in the summer, and that could be a game changer. I think when you look at AI, that that Mm -hmm. ultimately, we view this as a $4 trillion mark cap in 2004. You know, we're always, on this network, we always ask people what to buy. We rarely ask them what to sell or what not to own, so why don't we just do that? Is there any stock that you cover that that, uh, you just don't like or you would avoid? I mean, Lyft. Uh, to Lyft. me, I would, I, I, at all costs, uh, that's a name that I would avoid. I think Uber continues to take the throne in market share. Lyft has been up on some cost cutting and, you know, maybe sort of bounce back. I think this is a name with a lot of caution going to 2024. You own Uber, you put a, a red light in front of Lyft here. Any chance it gets taken out, though? I mean, could Uber and Lyft ultimately combine or are they... Look, I think it's possible there could be M&A with Lyft, but but I think that is going to be an Everest-like uphill battle for anyone to acquire them. I mean, if you looked up disaster in the dictionary, you'd see Lyft's ticker. Wow. Uh, one thing we like about you, Dan, is that you don't mince words. Um, quickly, any macro market prediction for next year? I know you're an analyst on stocks. But what do you, Any macro view? I think tech stocks, and you talked about before, you know, with, with Craig, but I think tech stocks are up 25% in 2024. Mag 7, we have up 30%. I think it's going to be just another, what I believe it's a get out the popcorn moment. It's the start of a new tech bull market. Mm. Tech will lead. And, and we believe this is really going to be a multi-year wow. tech bull market. And if that's the case, the overall market might do well. Dan Ives, love you. Happy New Year to you. Thank you very Thank much. You. you too. I right, appreciate it. All right, let's get now to our final quicker of the ticker of the year. All the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Giant waves slamming parts of the West Coast. High surf off the California and Oregon coastlines causing major flooding. More than 6 million people under high surf warnings, but... That didn't deter some crazy surfers who still want to catch those big waves. The annual New Year's Eve confetti test taking place in Times Square today. Happy New Year! It's part of multiple rehearsals ahead of Sunday's big event. According to the Times Square Alliance, New Year's Eve crowds are expected to be back to pre-pandemic levels. All you need is a paintbrush, a painting created by all four Beatles, set to go to auction at Christie's. It was made while the band was on tour in Japan in 1966, and it could go for up to $600,000. I'll bet it goes higher. No one had a better year than the already rich. According to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index, the combined net worth of the 500 richest people surged by $1.5 trillion. Elon Musk, of course, sitting pretty at number one, the net worth $232 billion. Happy New Year to him. 2023, the, the year the billionaires got more billionaire There you go. All right, coming up, the final beat the books of 2023, our top NFL picks to ring in and maybe hopefully cash in in the new year. That is next right here on the live last call. All right, time now for the final. Can Brian beat the books of 2023? It's our weekly segment where I try to outsmart Vegas. And once again, we are joined by our friend FanDuel's Lisa Kearney. Lisa, glad you are feeling better and glad you are back with us. How are you? 
I'm great. Happy New Year to you, Brian. Happy New Year to everyone watching. Have a safe and really fun weekend. Well, let's, you let's should you, money, huh? you should be feeling better because you went 3-0 and last week. You liked two of my picks. You, you hated the other one, and you were right. Congratulations. Uh, I went 2-1 and one, thanks to the Ravens and Falcons. With that, by the way, folks, I did officially beat the books on the year. I'm 27-20-1 against the spread. So even if I lose all three picks the next two weeks – I will still finish a little bit in the money, but Lisa, I would like to avoid that. I, I would like to go six and zero, but I have a feeling you're not going to allow me to do that, are you? No, no, no. I mean, no. we want, we all want to win every single one, but right. let's be honest, it's not, it's not realistic. And I'm here to put you in your place, so let's do this. Uh, it's, and it worked last week. Congrats! All right, let's dive into already week 17. Hard to believe with the NFL, and I'm going to start actually with my favorite game. I usually try to end it with that. It was 13 and a half. I, I usually big odds. Try to avoid them. No, Bills minus 14 at home against the Patriots. Lisa, revenge game. The Pats humiliated the Bills earlier in the year. Different Bills team. The defense is healthy again. They're going to bring the hammer. I think they win by three touchdowns or more. By the way, a couple weeks into the year, when everybody was hating on the Bills, I actually made a bet that they would win the Super Bowl at long odds. So I'm rooting for the Bills in a lot of ways here. Minus 14 against the Pats. Yeah, see, I, I looked at every possible angle, Sully, to dislike this pick because you know how much I love to, to uh, fade you. But I do like this pick. Yes, the Patriots have won two of their last three. But all that good mojo really stops here. The injury list they're rolling into Buffalo with, it reads like a chapter book amongst amongst all the other stats that I can throw at you. But this is the one that really stands out. The spread here, you just mentioned it, it's 14. Mm -hmm. The Patriots on the season barely average that. Dead last in the league with 14.1 points per game. The Bills come in 27 points per game. And we all know this. Buffalo has momentum. They have a reason to ball out in this game. They are motivated. So nice. if they can win and if Miami loses, week 18 is huge. They'll be playing for that division title. They are not going to mess around with that. 67% of the handle of the FanDuel Sportsbook is on the Bills to cover that nice. big number. I'm with you. I'm with them. Let's go, Bills. All right, here we go. Next pick, Giants, five and a half versus the Rams. It's a classic. It's like Wall Street. Sell high. Everybody's suddenly treating the Rams like they're Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, they've been hot. They're good. But they're not five and a half points good over the new New York Giants. At least I say new because my fellow Virginia Tech Hokie Tyrod Taylor, thankfully, is back at quarterback. He is not Tommy DeVito. He can run. He can throw darts. I think the Giants cover, and I think the Giants actually win. I know you probably hate it because everybody loves the Rams. Uh, yeah, because they're literally one of the most dangerous teams in the NFL right now. So, Lee, I dislike this pick. They're 5-1 and one in their last six. They're averaging 32.4 points per game in their last five and they've given themselves a chance at the playoffs. Listen, uh, they're playing well when they need to play well. Puka Nakua coming off a career game. Cooper Cup is just playing great. Uh, Kyron Williams is averaging 120 rushing yards on the ground in the last five since coming back from injury. It's just going to be about the Rams in this one. You know the Giants are eliminated. Mm -hmm. They you mentioned, you mentioned uh, the quarterback situation. Give me the Rams minus five and a half on the road. Okay, we'll see. I'm, I'm a believer in Tyrod Taylor. All right, here we go. Pick three. Raiders, the Raiders, plus three and a half 
against the Colts. Listen, I'm betting Antonio Pierce, the new coach of the Raiders, kind of sparked some life in him. The Colts can be good. But it all depends on which Colts team and which Gardner Minshew, whatever, whoever's quarterbacking shows up. I think the Raiders D and Max Crosby keep them in check. I think they cover three. I'd like that. This is where the key is the hook, the three and a half. I probably wouldn't love it at three because I think the Colts probably do win the game. But the three and a half, the Raiders, it's a, this is actually, believe it or not, a significant game for the playoffs. Both teams are on the bubble. And I, I don't know why. I just have a feeling the black and silver get it done. Yeah, Vegas has a shot of that wild card, right? But as a Chiefs fan, all I can do is like this pick after what they did to my Chiefs last week. Antonio Pierce has a team playing mean, nasty Raider football. As I mentioned, they can sneak into the playoffs. They just have to get business done. They've covered the spread in three of their last five. 57% of the uh, of the bets at the FanDuel Sportsbook are on the Raiders mm-hmm. to cover. Handle a little bit different there, but I am going Raiders. I'm with you. Take the three and a half. There we go. I like it. And the Raiders, yeah, they got there's something a little bit there. We'll see. Uh, Lisa Kearney, I want to say thank you very much. Good luck this week after a three and a week last week, and we'll we'll see you next week to see how we do. See you next week. All Happy right. New Year, everybody. Thank you very much. And folks, before we go, we want to say a big thank you from the entire Last Call family. Really appreciate you joining us on this new show's journey. And this is kind of random but interesting. I was actually honored to kick off the first live show on CNBC of 2023 at 5 a.m. back in, what, January 2nd or 3rd? And so I'm equally honored to be the last person you see on a live show on CNBC in 2023. First to last, although hopefully not in racing. Have a fun but safe New Year's Eve, and here's to a happy, healthy, and profitable 2024. We'll see you back here on Tuesday. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.